Tonight, we take a look at Terminalist, Episodes 6 and 7. Then we begin our Deep Space Nine watch-through and see how it's holding up after 30 years. Then we'll conclude with a little Halo news and a special memorial tribute. All this coming up right now on The Writer Brothers. And welcome back to your Tuesday night home for Terminal List, and now, so happily and proudly, for the next probably three to four years, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, gentlemen, I was so excited to do this last week that I broke YouTube's uploader in the process, and so we had to take a week off. Oh no. Uh, but we are back now. We have a backup plan, and the on the off chance the stream does decide to start giving us grief, uh, we'll just record it and we'll still upload it for later viewing. And of course, for our dedicated podcast listeners, we do appreciate you guys uh, and your engagements mean a lot, and we are glad to host this show wherever we can. As you can see, too, uh, I decided to change my mind about hosting on you or on YouTube on Facebook because at the end of the day. We could probably, we'll probably put a ticker up there that says if you are in one of those countries that can't hear the audio, here's the YouTube. Come check us out. It's yeah, we really want to bring a quality show to you guys, but we also want to make it easy for you guys to access. We, we've, we've decided that uh, I guess we could probably announce that uh, formal monetization through YouTube probably isn't going to be happening for us. Now that doesn't mean we aren't going to have ways that you can help support us monetary monetarily we are working on that we've just decided you know what <laughs> screw your dumb rules we're gonna do it ourselves so uh part of that though is we've decided we're kind of gonna be like uh public television except a billion times better and with that we're we're gonna bring you guys our show completely ad well except for ads that we do internally but we aren't gonna have any ads attached to our videos we aren't gonna have any paywalls for for our main content um we, we want to bring this show to you guys. We love doing this show. It's it's a lot of fun. And honestly, I, I just don't see the point in re- making it more restrictive when when you we're just sharing ideas. And so we want to give that to you guys and, and make sure that wherever you're at in life, whether you can support our show with a $1 million yearly sponsorship or, uh, you know, spend a couple of bucks on the side when it's convenient for you, we're, we're going to bring or, that to you. Or but, even uh, just spend a couple hours with us. We're just happy Tuesday to, night. yeah, or whether you're here completely free, uh, taking us in without paying a cent, totally not, no, I'm just kidding, guys, I, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit of a ball busted mood. Yeah, that, that, that being all said, like, if Doritos or Bud Light decide to sponsor this channel, we are down. Oh, yeah, no, especially Doritos, they might I, I, we, we will bring, we'll, we'll take that, uh, that mosquito commercial where the mosquito lands on the guy eating hot sauce, oh, no, it wasn't a Doritos commercial, it was a hot sauce commercial. Either yeah, way, I, I was thinking more Wayne's World there with like you know the the product placement piece. I uh, haven't actually seen that one either. Um, oh, so geez, moving okay. on. Oh, good. Yeah, I know. Had a horrible childhood. Wasn't loved by my parents. Raised by ants. Anyway, um, gentlemen, we uh, we got a lot to unpack here with Terminalist this week. Uh, I gotta say, I really liked both episodes. Episode six, not a whole lot to discuss there, but a really well executed. Uh, escape from a tight situation. I was I was very impressed with how they made it 
they made it convincing enough. And uh, and then we go into episode seven, and man, a whole bunch of names get crossed off the list with that one. Um, oh yeah. But real quick, who wants to give a quick one-minute summary of both episodes at the same time? Oh, John, do you mind handling guys. it? Uh, taking it, or do one of you guys manage, uh, or can one of you guys handle that this uh, this month or this week? I'm going to send it to you, Parker, because I don't remember the exact order of events. That's all right. I, I can just side it by her. So episode six is pretty simple. After killing Steve Horn, of course, uh, James Reese is now the most wanted man in America. I mean, he already was, but now it's public because he's now killed a, a public figure in that universe. And basically uh, mounts an extremely daring rescue while the other FBI agent that's been trying to chase and get his man this whole time uh, gets taunted, but not just taunted, but shown that uh, James Reese isn't interested in taking his life, even though when he had multiple opportunities to do so. This, of course, continues in Episode 7. After he's made his escape, he's now returned back to business and takes care of uh, quite a few of the names on his list. Three names, to be exact. One, he takes out uh, in a way that gave me a horrible nightmare uh, that I was trying to become a Navy SEAL. And then uh, the other two, he takes out in a way that not speaking for myself, but I'm sure some service members have looked at, have served under a shit admiral or general and have probably watched that scene and cheered very irrationally as though they were the ones that had done that. <laughs> um, of course, uh, Admiral Pillar was a shitty leader from the get-go and so, you know, we are not sad. And now we see device. why the court-martial wasn't filed. <laughs> I told you we'd get to it eventually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, because I, I was wondering, like, why do they not have his butt in a stockade, you know, early on in this? Like, unless you're, like, buddy-buddy with, with with a flag officer in that kind of setting, you could probably get away with it. But, yeah, I was like, the, after I saw this thing, I was like, that, you're going to jail, dude. You're going to the brick. <laughs> There's not nope. even going to be, the court-martial's literally going to be, he touched me, and you're, that's it. There's no, there's no defense, there's no, there's no rights, nothing. You're gone. No. Anyway, but see, and that, that to me, I thought that was like the fun part. Like, I've been waiting for this to say, hey, there was way more to the story, right? Like, the, the Admiral not only was in on the entire issue in terms of trying to get them all killed, but he was also the one that recommended Reese for an award. So, like, for him to then turn around and just automatically brig this uh, hardened, like, broken warrior. And then also post his family dying. Like there was all these reasons the Admiral was willing to let it go. He obviously didn't care about the rules enough to protect his own team from getting murdered by, you know, some corporate entity trying to make drugs. Obviously he's also not going to be able to pretend like he cares about his seal who he killed with the tumor and then also tried to kill and then also watched his family kill get killed like that admiral had a lot of room for leniency in that scene and i love how it took the entire season one to finally be like oh that explains it yeah well i mean we all knew that that admiral had to go it was always just a question of how he was going to wind up going right and not yep. to mention how uh, his sub- second in command went, dude. I loved not just in terms of the aggressiveness, but in terms of like 
you broke the number one thing every seal learns. Like once a seal finishes buds, that's family. And then this dude was like, well, yeah, but I needed a payout. And he's like, well, that's why family's not here to drag you out of the water. That's it. Good luck. Yeah, and, and that was a very, uh, uh, that, that whole thing. I was, an I was totally with within him. an analogy with yeah. a song to a very specific family. Like, uh, you know, the Navy SEALs. And it, it just made all these layers so beautiful. Yeah. That, I, like, I, ironically enough, I, I empathize with where the, the commander was coming from. Uh, I actually agreed with a lot of what he was saying, and, and by a lot, I pretty much agreed with all of it. Uh, the problem is, even the, you know, even though he's more or less right, uh, it doesn't excuse what he did, and so that's well, why he had to be taken care of. I think the thing that like really bothers me is that like he had all of these justifications for why he should be allowed to do what he did, but also had zero <clears throat> explanation as to why he sacrificed the people that he or he cared most about. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and when faced with the literal family, his offspring and his wife, like only then did he truly understand which family he killed yep. like and that's what i mean by is like an analogy within an analogy and to a specific family like that's where a lot of like modern hollywood movies go wrong is like one seal goes rogue and then the rest of his team hunts him down and it's like no the reason why in this series james reese lost his entire team is because if even one of them was still alive they would be on his team again like, yep. There would be no, like, it goes SEALs and then Navy, not SEAL, or not Navy, then SEALs. Yeah. Like, the SEALs care more about each other before they're going to care about making the Navy look good. And that, I think, is what most Hollywood movies don't do well, whereas this one shows why it's so important and it even takes the time to, like, show why it's so hard to put that nuance in there because this is an entire well, series that's an ode to seals and also a hollywood action movie there, there is a movie we can revisit though that goes along with what you're saying that i thought did a great job of capturing all of that that you're, you you just complained about and that was uh act of valor uh yep I thought that one was a very good job. I mean, even Marcus Luttrell praised it. So I don't know what uh, Jack Carr had to say about it. It might be worth looking up. But even Luttrell said that that one captured it best. And then... Uh, it, it captured it in verbiage best. But I, the problem with Active Valor is they had actual seals playing yeah. the action movie. And they're not the greatest actors. No, okay. but great operators, I, I, but not I think, great to watch on screen. Okay, but I, I think disagree. we can all agree on okay. okay, I think we can all agree on this, though. If you spend the time, money, and effort to train these people to operate as a, as a single unit, as a single group of people that will 100% rely on each other and will bond, you know, like a family... 
and then expect them to not behave like a family when something goes the way that you know you didn't expect you're in for a bad time like mm-hmm. there, there's no other way to put it. it it really just boils down to that like you you designed this particular breed of military man and then when they did exactly what you told them to you suddenly got surprised that they did that like surprised pikachu face right like yeah ah. <laughs> um and i think i think that's that i think that's this story is like even though there's all of these pieces that make it seem like other action like other modern shows and modern stories this one still took the time to not forget anything as it went along like the reason that the captain lost the love of the brotherhood is because he was working for an admiral that never loved the brotherhood yeah and that is something that a lot of upper echelon managers seem to forget is that like if you only hire external upper echelon managers you have no idea what it's like to be in the team and if you have no idea what it's like to be in the team you have no idea what to expect from a team and the captain just forgot and that happens we do often forget where we came from yeah and you know what it's you see this play out in other aspects beyond the military too, right? I mean, there is there is not a a hit I wouldn't take for for my guys on this panel, right? And I'm Thanks. I'm 100 convinced, vice versa, right? Um, and that's you know, yeah, totally, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you're on, you're on. Oh shit! I whispered in his ear. Damn it! Yeah, exactly. But um. But even then, like, we joke around with stuff exactly like this because, you know, like, it's not buds, but it's definitely, you know, starting a YouTube channel is not an easy process, and we definitely bonded over it's it. It's not right? even the starting part. It's the it's the showing up. Like, I mean, I'm, I don't care if it's, like, two people show up next, you know, in, on our one-year anniversary. It, it's – that's – gonna be a big deal regardless and i mean that's oh yeah that's why i know that that our audience is still taking its time to find us because i know a lot of people who've probably tried us out a couple weeks looked through our post history like oh so these guys you know might not be around and and you know, just know if you're one of those people that's done that that's okay i'm not offended i get it you, you don't want to commit to something until you know it's for real and when our case with this panel we kind of had to just hope that we all committed and so far so good so you know we'll see where we are and hopefully we'll have some of our other guest panelists back i'd love to have my i do miss uh i, I do miss those guys brandon and of oh, course yeah. cc karaoke which hey shout out to you guys i i hope everything's i hope life is treating you as well as it can and if not that you're at least working your way to something better um yeah. as in coming back here uh anyway <laughs> And other like new people that think they've got what it takes to to hang to play with the uh, arguably pretty middle of the pack boys like us, uh, you know, talk to us and we'll uh, you know we'll see if we can get you on, man. I mean, you know, we're we're pretty we're pretty open to just about anything. I think uh, so long as it 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 fits with the concept that we're trying to put forward, where we want to talk about the good stuff and we want to show respect for the people that are doing the work and show respect for each other and show respect for you guys, the fans. Cause ultimately Absolutely. at the end of the day, this channel doesn't work without you guys. Yep. 
yeah, fan and- mail from uh, Hunter Robinson on Facebook says, "What up, York? Well, you're you're seeing it, man. We're we're talking Terminalist and and DS9, and uh, I can't remember if you're uh, last time we talked, you made Chief, but that was a few years ago. So hope you're doing well. I, I mean, I'm I'm glad to see you're still they're letting you on Facebook. Uh, yeah, is it old Coasty, buddy? Uh, he's actually a pretty ah. decent cook, from what I've heard. I, I didn't actually get to try." too much of his food because when i when it when we actually went to boot camp together believe it or not and right. then we ended up going to a school together and and the petaluma a school is where they teach all the cooks in the coast guard and that's where the operation specialists train and so i didn't really get to try it firsthand because all the cooks cooked together in a big mess but uh i mean he clawed his way up pretty fast though through the ranks i think he might be the highest ranked out of our or at least he was until one of them went to ocs but uh Oh, well, he turned good, traitor then. Good to, uh, yeah, yeah. Going from scum to royalty. How dad. dare you? Getting yeah. paid more and taking on more responsibility, idiot. Uh, e- sitting down in, in in office meetings that should be an email, eating cake, you know, instead of doing work. Right. Yeah, well, having to justify your paycheck. Now, Hunter Hunter was yeah. one of the good guys. Uh, miss you, man. Above the cut for E eight and number sixteen on chief warrant officer. Dude, oh, dude, well done! Congratulations, Hunter Robinson. Way to, way to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. We don't say swears on this show, but way to fucking represent Tango 184, bro. Um, and not just that, but good for you. That's a fantastic version. You remember where you came from? Yeah, and I, I miss you too, bro. And we will figure out, you know, once, once we're, uh, you know, a seven-figure operation here at the Ryder Brothers, we'll. We'll, we'll get together again, but you're also welcome Culinary to come out. Expertise. You're also welcome to come out and visit me anytime, bro. Um, good to hear from you. But uh, yeah, nah, this is awesome. It's a good show so far. Uh, yeah, so turning back to how we route that back to Terminalist. So James Reese well, was actually in 04, which is a lieutenant commander. Yeah, but you know, actually worked for a living, unlike every other. Yeah, no, the the seals. I don't think there's really a difference between officer and enlisted when it comes to seal. Seal is seal. Um, Yeah. Oh no, there's a substantial difference. Paperwork. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, you know, if you forget to to salute or something, you know, it's not. uh, It's kind of treated. You know, brotherhood's a brotherhood with when it comes to the seals. and that's really, and that's, I believe, the same with Marine Snipers and Green Berets. You know, they all have their their special bonds. And then in the Coast Guard, I believe it would be the, it, well, Hunter could probably probably disagree with this, but I'd say that the, the aviation survivalist technicians, the rescue swimmers, are, are kind of their own. They're kind of our version of elite, but more like on the search and rescue side equivalent. Yeah. So they're not, like, going to be kicking down doors and throwing flashbangs or any of that shit, but... but <laughs> You know the guy that's jumping out of the helicopter to save you, Guardian style. Uh, that's the that's the uh, aviation survival technician, the ASTs. Yeah, it it takes a certain level of bravery and crazy to do that, and that's that's an impressive thing to. And, it, and not yeah. just bravery and crazy, but also humanity. Oh like, yeah. Navy SEALs, they have either they do it right or they don't come home. Guardians, either they do it right. Or somebody else doesn't come home. Yeah, and that—that—that's a different type of love, man. That's a different type of elite. It is. That's it is the elite form of savior in terms of I like to do crazy things, but I also want to help. 
Well, and, yeah, the, and the other thing I did notice, though, too, is there's a bit of a there's a bit of a difference, obviously, in that, and that really comes down to like the rescue crews in each various uh, small boat station also kind of have their own kind of bonds in that similar fashion. So it, it is a very different service that the Coast Guard provides, um, but it is. Uh, I would say 80% of the missions are necessary, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, especially the food mission. Um, so, yeah. So, but and, and to relate all of this to Terminal, it's like, this is the thing that a lot of people that have never served the military or known that people that have served, like, this is the kind of feelings and emotions you get when you work with the same group so often or when you suffer the same traumatic experience like boot camp is meant to be trauma it's meant to wash off everything you've ever thought about reality and here's your new reality here's your new command structure rank structure who you report to how you report to them here's how you talk eat sleep work like that's deleting that's traumatizing you're deleting everything you've ever known and putting in a whole new system at 18 plus like that's yeah. a lot to to deal with and so that's why when people in the service talk about boot camp and stuff like that so much that's them showing where they've been and where they've come from and when they do it with people they love that are like also a part of that experience it's like yeah so you're one of me you are of the tribe that I fought for. And that's what James Reese has in his pocket while he's on this one man revenge show. Because like, this is another great thing that I think this show really exemplifies is like, yeah, you can want to run one man revenge show. You can fight you know. for your revenge to get what you've always wanted. And you can also know that it's not a good cause, but have moral justification at the same time like there's a bunch of things that aren't supposed to go together side by side but because of his experience in the military because he knows who at fault and why they're at fault even though he is on a murderous rampage to take care of the people that took care of his family he's still on the side of justice like even though these people aren't the ones that pulled the trigger, they're the ones that set every bit of the mousetrap into effect and they deserve to feel the blame that he puts on them. And I think that's something that we don't really get from revenge plots because all of us are always told revenge is when you dig two, you should dig two graves, right? Like you're killing yourself by going and killing the person that killed your family. And we're in the case of Reese, he's like, no, I'm not. And how can he say that? Because like these people murdered all of his family, whether it was his family of seals or his literal flesh and blood. And they were willing to do it again. Not a single one of them said, sorry. Yeah. And that is the moral justification that this provides. It's not, some like wishy-washy like oh i was a foreign agent i didn't know this is what was gonna happen no this is a an american fighting america because america is also willing to sacrifice americans for whatever america desires and that's what he's saying is wrong that's what he's fighting against and, and this show does such a beautiful job of a depicting that fight in a fun aggressive action thriller but then also 
painting that fight like it actually is worth fighting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like at the end of the day, too, I mean, when you think about it, right? Like, what kept him fighting? What he was fighting for was his family, whether that be his brothers in the, in the service, whether that be his, his wife and kid at home. He he's his whole motivation was about his family, and they took that completely away from him. So no, he's already dead as far as you know in terms of digging that second grave. He's already dead. He's lost everything he cares about, and what he has left is making sure that his family did not die in vain that this isn't going to happen to somebody else's family and that's what i'm taking away from it right i'm taking away that that's what he chose to do well and and there's even another thing i didn't think about until you just said that crown is he also like he didn't immediately go on this revenge plot he didn't think it was all confusing right out the gate it was when he got attacked that he started realizing it was bigger than he had anticipated and that shows that his motivation wasn't just getting revenge but it was also preventative like the people that did this to him are going to do it to seal team one seal team two four five and six like i think he was three uh so like i think that's something that I haven't pointed out earlier, but I also don't think that like is easy to notice until you discuss it is that, yeah, he wasn't just on a revenge plot. He was on a preventative. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen to my other brothers that I've never gotten the opportunity to serve with since buds. And that shows even how, like how much effort Jack put into writing this story is it wasn't just a, guy that had crazy skills going crazy for a good reason it was this layered nuanced real human being with actual training that some people in our nation actually receive doing things that they are taught to do in a fictional world that's just slightly different than our real one it's yeah, just like- different by a few humans and I honestly think that people who have tried to write off this series as like a, a harken back to the 70s and 80s, Stallone, muscle bound, kind of no plot, just violence style action film really did not pay attention to what they were looking at. Because this is 100% like, yes, it has those elements. I'm not disagreeing with that, but it justifies it throughout its entire run. There's nuance. There's depth here. This is everything you've ever demanded of that. Like, right. You, you like, always hated Stallone 70s movies because they didn't have what this one has. Yeah. You know, like the complaint constantly was, I wouldn't mind these action stories if they had a plot. Well, here you go, guys. You know, you got what you wanted. Now you need to embrace it. Um, and not only like not just embrace it but respect it like we always said that there's no way that those action movies could ever be written with the nuance of a lord of the rings and now we're eating our own dirt like that's not true anymore it turns out that like we just never had somebody like jack carr who is like the epitome of everything stallone in the 70s tried to imagine a navy seal to be we have that guy coming in and writing this story according to 
the rules of good writing and he nailed it so if anybody's like criticizing this for being just a wash or just something like even active valor like parker man i've enjoyed it i thought it was terrible in terms of plot synopsis execution of events but this is what active valor wanted to be and it was written by the guy that served with the active valor cast like well- the act of valor had the uh, had the handicap though of being limited to two and a half hours, and this was and it came out True. well before the the it actually. I don't think, I think you it, get I mean, it went this active without act of valor. valor. I concur, Corion. I completely agree because act of valor I, came I out. Lone survivor. I think it was before it, it was it was it was before the whole long series. I think the long series uh, streaming became i think it started to become popular like yeah 2013 2014 time frame so active valor came out before that and and that's when people i guess still preferred episodic content hybrid story to i don't know yeah so long preferred i think is the wrong assumption i think it is executive producers assumed that people preferred that's a good one but that's 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 a good point like as we start to really see all of these diverse ways of telling visual stories whether it's a series like terminalist or it's something like the expanse or it's something like uh hbo's game of thrones like we're starting to realize that people have always wanted the 10 episode season of whatever movie they're watching because like we like one characters or like actors don't age over the year of filming a season like they do between each release of a series like Hayden Christensen of episode two is much older in episode three right and that Mm -hmm. I think is the big issue that like a lot of people have with different shows is like the actors are aging faster than the series is supposed to be aging and then but then if we look at it in terms of uh, Netflix's Stranger Things, like those kids do still look relatively the same-ish age. It feels like they should have recognized that it's been six or seven years rather than three. Yeah, but... I mean, I, I think there's... Okay, so I think that there's space for both so- both kinds of storytelling, okay? Whether long form or shorter form. Like, for example, I don't think the never-ending story, which I think we've all seen as a kid, as kids, would work as a long-form series. I think keeping it tight to that two-and-a-half-hour, you know, limitation of, like, a kid's bladder kind of speed and time frame makes sense for that story. And I think we need to stop looking at it as we need something to fill this time gap and more... We need to tell the story in the appropriate length for the story. And I think that's what matters most. And this is one of those that lends itself to a longer form. Whereas something like, um, you know, some of the other military dramas we've seen definitely work better in the short form. Or definitely could afford to be cut off after you know, two or three years because they've gotten through the primary plot that they need to do. Like mash lasted actually longer than the entire Korean war. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that seems like a little too long. They were still telling good stories all the way through to the end, but the point still remains. It should not, you know, the, a 
television series about it should not have actually lasted longer than the war itself. And I think that's, you know, an example of things can go too long, too. What you really have to do is sit down at the beginning of the project and make a, you know, a firm determination on this is how long we need to tell this story and to tell it Mm. right. And then go from there. And it clearly should have stretched that out with Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Game of Thrones has a lot of things that worked against it, but I think what worked against it is what is now benefiting it on this new House of the Dragon series because they're taking a lot of the things that everybody seems to have appreciated, but then also still writing a completely different story. And I, I appreciate that. Like they, this is one of the few series where it took a horrible turn in the end. And then from then on, everything was equal to the last two seasons of the worst first, like of the best season. But instead this is like, Oh no, we know what we did wrong and we're going to do better and we're doing better. And that's what they're, they're showing. And that like, that is, if anything, that is what we've been asking for this whole time. Like everything that went wrong with game of Thrones and seasons like seven and eight. Thanks for acknowledging that it went wrong and thanks for not repeating it with house of Car- or house of the dragon. And I think that is like, that's what I want to all of the writers that we've ever denigrated or any writing that we've denigrated, like the writers of that writing, there's a way through it. There, there's obvious steps to do better and own it without having to like assume that you can't write anymore. Mm-hmm. Like George R. R. Martin didn't quit when season eight flopped. Instead, George R. R. Martin went to work with HBO and took more ownership of his work. And now HBO is writing an even better version of Game of Thrones, making it an even bigger world. And it has nothing to do with the Game of Thrones events yet. And I love that. I, th- I really, honestly, I appreciate it more than anything because that's what we need from good writing. And I think the idea of telling the story the length it needs, I think that's so important because like the Grand Budapest Hotel, I've seen that movie like three or four times. I love it from beginning to end. Awesome. Knives Out, not Knives Out. Is it Knives Out with uh, uh, James Bond doing the clue mystery? Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, it may um, be, but I, I wouldn't have touched it. The Clue cause... Mystery with James Bond. It was a ton of fun and actually maintained a Clue twist even in the 2018s. Like, it was not a bad story, but it also never needed extra, never needs more. And that's like what I think more executive producers need to recognize is like sometimes if you buy a book series or a book, that has a really good universe and the C- the TV show sells more than the book, like let's go more into that universe. Maybe not necessarily hope for more writing, but like let's do that same level of visual writing and movie writing, but more into that universe. Let's dig deeper because I think that's where Transformers did the opposite. They were like, everybody loved the cars, so let's do more cars. And it's like, no, everybody loved the idea of robots in disguise, learning to adapt to America and politics, and also learning to be like a part of the human race and all of it, you know? So I am looking forward to next week's uh, 
back next week's show because you guys will finally read the book. You'll finally understand my complaints, hopefully, or you'll disagree with them. Either way, I think we got a great discussion plan to close out this series. And then, uh, well, from there, we'll have to figure it out. Uh, but we do at least know what half of our shows are going to be each week. And since we were talking about the in-between of episodic and, of course, uh, 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 serialized storytelling... The show that set the bar for that, of course, is our community watch through for the next three to four years, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Gentlemen, I am so sorry that we couldn't get to this discussion last week. I was really bummed about it, and uh, I got over it. So we're here now. We're here to finally talk about Emissary. John, you are the DS9, you are the Deep Space noob. So why don't you go ahead and give us our plot summary and your initial thoughts? Yeah, so episodes one and two, season one of M- of Deep Space Nine is labeled Emissary, and it goes into one of the bigger questions of the Star Trek universe that's been asked of each of the captains so far. Uh, where Q continuously asks Picard more and more, what's the point of humanity? What's the what? What does it mean to be human? Emissary decided, you know, we're going to open with that question. This design is like, we're, we're just going to talk about it. It's hard. It, everybody knows that being a human is not exactly agreed upon by any humans, alone probably other race that may or may not be observing us in this current time frame. So we're just gonna we're gonna have a reason that there is this super race that also may or may not matter in the future that also is linked to one of the most useful technologies that humans have been chasing forever, which is uh, stable wormhole technology. And so we open with uh, the commander. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Cisco. Cisco. You will before Cisco. the end of this season. Yes. The Cisco is uh, on a ship during the uh, Borg encounter where Picard was assimilated, uh, and that was, I think, season four, season three, episode twenty-six, into season four, episode one. Um, Battle of Wolf Three and Cisco. Yeah. Well, the massacre at Wolf Three Five Nine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind, kind of more of a, of a of a week just kind of showed up and died. Right, and so Cisco opens, <clears throat> and so Cisco was actually in the massacre on the losing side, which was Starfleet. And in this massacre, Cisco loses his wife and is barely able to get off the ship and save his son. And so when we open with Emissary in Deep Space Nine, Cisco is dealing with the fact that, like, A, Picard is still the king of captains of Starfleet. He is the flagship captain. He's still respected and revered and still heralded a hero. But according to Cisco, who watched for Picard initiate the attack, on the main screen on the bridge <clears throat> Cisco's like watching him as the murderer of his wife and also watching people herald this hero that is actually the murderer of his wife so Cisco's really 
at conflict with even why he serves Starfleet. And he gets put in charge of Deep Space Nine, which is an, uh, it's a, a Cerulean. Cardassian. Cardassian. Uh, mining? Vessel yeah. So what what it, what it was originally designed to be was a refining station above Bajor, where the Cardassians, once they had strip mined Bajor, could take the materials, refine them, and get them shipped out to Cardassian space. Market. Right. What? And Cardassian markets. Yeah. Wherever yeah. their their merchants are going to sell it to, whatever they sell it to, and so Deep Space Nine is on the verge of collapse because Starfleet's moving in and basically this is the equivalent of the British East India Trading Company moving into pirate territory. The pirates are like, yeah, we're gonna leave. And the trading company's like, we're gonna own everything. And so Starfleet's moving in, pushing out the previous inhabitants. But Starfleet is not the British East India Trading Company. Starfleet is meant to bring people together not take all the money for themselves and so with that starfleet starts or has sent cisco there to figure it out find a way to a mend relations with bajor because the cardassians just obliterated any trust that bajor could have with outside entities and outside leadership because of a lot of there's just a ton of things like deep state type conspiracies that happened on Bajor at the like behest of the Cardassians and in that like that's just all this turmoil is being presented as Cisco is like walking onto the ship meeting people that are also trying to get out and also don't want to meet him and he's also dealing with this thing like I don't want to really be here either and from there we, we have this moment where uh, Cisco and Picard discuss his status as taking over, and Cisco says to Picard, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to go private. Like, I'm going to finish out my contract and go home and go private. I can do better private. I don't even believe in Starfleet anymore. And Picard is taken aback by this and is like, What do you, you're a lieutenant, you are getting your first command like wouldn't this be everything you've ever wanted and as i don't remember when this happened but corion made it uh clear to me that there was a point when uh cisco reminds picard of the battle of uh wolf 39 out for something 359 yeah so let, let me let me jump in a, for just a second here because this is my favorite scene in the first season of of deep space nine and Picard has called Cisco now the fourth time to come visit him on the ship to get a briefing on on what mission he's taking over. And Cisco walks into the the meeting room, and Picard is there. And Picard's being his normal jovial, "Hey, we're all friends. We're all Federation chums here. Let's uh, you know meet this new commander and send them off on a good run to to take over this grimy command." Yeah, you know, I'll give him a little pep talk and then he can take over this grimy butthole in the back end of space. And the first thing, um, you know, Cisco says, good to meet you. Or, good to see you again, sir. And he has that sir that only sergeants can produce. That, you know, that, that sir that actually means something completely different than respect. 
And Picard's like, did, did we know each other before? And he goes, yes, sir. We've met in battle at Wolf 359. As in, you killed everyone I know and love and I despise you. And Picard is so taken aback by this that he actually stammers, which is the only time we see Picard stammer throughout the entire seven seasons of Next Gen. He's so taken aback by somebody just hating his existence that he's well, almost not just. sure what to do he with it. He also hates his own well, existence Picard recognizes Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, but Picard even recognizes that Cisco is justified in his hatred. Oh, yeah. And like, that's the kind of man Picard is. Yeah, I mean, the subtext from this scene is so deep. You can even hear Picard trying to figure out how to apologize to this guy and realizing that nothing he says is going to be accurate. Like, this is a character study in two absolute titans of the small screen chewing on scenery together. And it's worth watching and doing a really in-depth analysis uh, for anybody who's watching this. Go back, watch that scene. It is a masterclass in writing. So, yeah. Um, but the, the basic premise is the job Cisco is being brought into is get the station back in one piece as opposed to being currently where it's falling apart. Um, get Bejor ready to join the Federation and do anything short of, the of you know, screwing over the Prime Directive to do it. So that's kind of the briefing. And so after the briefing, some... I can't remember what sent them into the active wormhole. Its appearance... Okay, so uh, yeah, so what happens okay. is Cisco is asked by the head of the Bajoran religion to come down to the surface and meet with him. When he does, he's introduced to the orb, which are these artifacts that the Bajorans have known about for thousands and thousands of years that routinely show up, and each of them seems to have some sort of different prof uh, property. When Cisco looks into the box that the orb is contained in, he has a vision of his wife and goes through kind of the, the history of their first meeting. And then, you know, the, this religious leader, Kyle Paca, which for, for you, John, watch this one. She's important. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. No, she's, she's yeah, not only she's, important in terms of the, the overall episode and the, the pair of episodes, but she's important in terms of, like, she's saying really good philosophy just in terms of, like, stuff you can take home. Yeah. Now, she basically says, look, we only have one or two of these orbs because the Cardassians have taken the rest, but there is strong indications that the origin of these, of these orbs has got to be around somewhere nearby, and it's your job there to find is it. Strong indications yeah, that some the origin of, of these of these vision, orbs chosen as like the emissary title of the episode. Not quite yet, but okay. it was mentioned that because he had the orb experience, that the prophets apparently seem to like him, and he needs to go find where they live, right? And when he goes on that little bit of a mission, he winds up discovering something that he never thought he would which absolutely is, you know, tracking down um, 
you know, tracking down this, uh, this, you know, tracking down this, this wormhole. And when he, when him and some of the new characters that we're going to meet find it, that's really what starts the whole adventure. And so as we get into the, the wormhole, that's where I think a lot of this show really decides where it's going to be, uh, is... Like, it feels like it's what it's really trying to display that it's not another exploration into humanity, but more explanation or exploration into human. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the wormhole, we see Cisco interact with a new entity, Arendi. Arendi, I was just thinking about you. Welcome, you. dude. Better uh, late than not at all. Glad to have you. And so when Cisco is in this entity, we have an understanding of the orbs as a whole, the Bajorans as a deeper, more ancient culture than we would have normally been given the chance to explore in Star Trek. Like in in Star Trek, there's a lot of supposed ancient cultures, but they're usually just touched on for an episode and then we move on to the next one or we occasionally come back to it later but in this one it feels a lot more like the Bajoran history matters a lot more to the story and so too does Cisco's history mm-hmm. and that's a really nice change of pace for a series that has such a known formula and that's where I think that a lot of, especially more like younger writers that are starting out with series that they may have to do spinoffs for, like this is a, a, a masterclass in how to do it. Because the, this is all, like all we've been talking about right now is episodes one and two of season one. Mm-hmm. And this is still like the first half episode one. <laughs> and so we have Cisco in this meeting and, and the way that he gets in the meeting, it, it makes no sense. He goes in with his ship, and then somehow his spirit is pulled out of the ship, and the ship is left dormant while he's going off on this thought parade. And his compatriot in the ship is having the best time of their life. Like, when they teleport to this world, his compatriot's like, wow, look at these beautiful sunny skies and everything. He's like, what do you mean? This is the worst disastrous world I've ever seen in the entire world. And she's like, what do you mean, sir? Like, this is really pretty green, lush forest. And so we have this very clear uh, discrepancy between the... uh, The perceptions of the people there. Yes, so the, not just the perceptions of the people, but also the perceptions of the individuals. Like, where they are is not necessarily a place, but it's where they are emotionally. So one of them has been vibing their whole life to this point, or is in a really good spot emotionally, and so when they get to this wormhole mind space, they're in green pastures. They're having a good time. Whereas Cisco has been, like, knuckle-dragging his way through life since his wife died and so in his resemblance of that it's this pillars of darkness and lightning and storms and he still feels fine and prepared but that's all the world is to him 
is the world is just something to dread and deal with and has no beauty whatsoever. And that is where these beings take him away and they start to ask him questions in the form of his memories. Right. And so he is simultaneously reliving his favorite events, his most traumatic events, and living an entirely new event among those memories and has to also act his way through it. He has to act like a lieutenant of Starfleet to demonstrate to this completely unknown entity what Starfleet is without breaking the prime directive, without disrespecting this entity, without causing intergalactic terror to this new species that nobody's ever contacted. And that I think is such a hard paradigm to paint. And without any of the yester lore of Star Trek, it would be really hard for this to be episode one of one of Star Trek. Mm, okay. Like, you you could so, start Star Trek here, I don't think. Okay, so just a couple of pieces. The aliens he meets uh, inside the wormhole. Quick, fan mail for oh, Miranda. Yeah. Thoughts shape reality literally when you're in the wormhole. Yep. Um, so the a couple of important things to 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 add into what what John's been saying first. It's important to understand that um, the aliens inside the wormhole have no concept of linear time. They have no idea that there is cause and then effect. So when they're going through the primary motivation for this whole section of the plot is they don't understand that one, that is the case. And two, that humanity's thoughts completely control the reality. So as far as they're concerned, Cisco is still living in a loop of tragedy. And yet he's describing how events happen in a linear, in a linear progression. And they're like, yeah, okay, we get the concept that, of that, but that's not what's happening for you. You're stuck in this loop. So it's super important that not only are they in a way, uh, like this is not just a first contact situation. This is also these aliens trying to help him work through his grief in a weird way without realizing that that's actually what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I, this I is don't a, agree, actually. I, I, I think okay. this is a lot more like a first contact similar to the uh, Alec Baldwin series on like the shapes. I can't remember what it, what it's called, but there's the one where he uh, he's a circle living in a two-dimensional world and then a three-dimensional object pulls him out and shows him what dimensional reality is. Uh, Flatland? Think, yes, Flatland. And that I feel like is a lot of what this is, is this is a fifth or sixth dimensional being It has no comprehension of time as we do because it exists entirely in its existence. Like it's always now, there is no then, there is no yesterday, there's also no tomorrow because it's now, always. And so when we, when Cisco's going through these memories, we see him first with the introduction of his wife and the moment they met, there's another moment in the wormhole where he goes through that and he's actually talking to this entity that's in, uh, visualized through his wife, but vocalized clearly as a independent being with com 
completely no understanding of the experience that Cisco is visualizing while they're talking. Yeah. And so in that instance, what we get is really, there is a being that communicates through the brain and Cisco's brain is made up of all of his memories and experiences. And so when the, when the, when it when he keeps saying why are you bringing me back to this point and he means the point of watching his wife die the time when he couldn't save her when he was going to die with her when he had to choose to live with the sadness of the loss of his wife so that his son didn't have to live with the sadness of the loss of both parents and that moment in his life is why his he's been knuckle dragging himself through life up until this episode and that's why he has all this turmoil because like he knows for a fact that he has to live. He has to be alive because his son deserves to at least have one son or one parent live the full lifespan, at least get to a hundred ish, you know? And that is something that like he has decided that he will do no matter what sadness like feels to him because he's a father first and a human second and when he's talking to this entity that's really what we're seeing because we watch as the entity changes to his son his persona changes like well son the thing is is like the way time works is it's like a linear spectrum about time and then whenever the entity's like well i don't get it he's like he starts snapping back to those terrible moments because he's confused and so in the moments of confusion he remembers why he's doing what he's doing what his purpose is what promise he made to himself arendi fanmail says when he says i exist here i think he's realizing he's torturing himself by mentally reliving the loss of his wife being thrown outside of time shows there's no difference between thought and reality at least to an extent in my honest opinion yeah, Arendi, I agree I with Orendi. Exactly, I think that's exactly what they're trying to show, but I think the the writers really took the time to show Cisco getting there. And that's really more what I'm going on is like the time that it took for him to realize that the entity wasn't the source of that memory and the fact that that memory belonged to him and the entity was just using it to talk to him is a description of why he need like why that moment mattered and that moment didn't just matter because it was a time of great pain but it was also a moment of decision because when we see it in the beginning we see him finally give up trying to save his wife so that he could go save his son we see this actual choice made and that is something that he knows he did but he also knows that he hates himself for having to do that and See, having to make that decision. And we're watching him. The entity is inadvertently making him realize that he has been hating himself for that. Right. The reason like, he didn't see greener pastures is because he can't see greener pastures because there are no greener pastures without his wife. And the entity is like, well, there's greener pastures if you imagine greener pastures. Yeah, well, I mean, see, the way I look at it as by forcing him to live through this, by ha forcing him to have to explain all of this to someone who does not have that perception, he inadvertently helped Cisco process what had been going on in his own head, why he felt that 
that he didn't belong in Starfleet, why he felt that he didn't, um, you know, why he was still holding on to that, that hatred, that anger, right? We see that post getting out of the situation, having made contact with these aliens, having, um, come through it. We see him reinvigorated, ready to take on a new challenge. He's come through a new man. The, the, if you will, to, to borrow a religious thing, the prophets returned to him changed or returned him changed and well, ready and I, to be their emissary. And I think there's, that's definitely what happened at the end. But I think the, the through is really the greatest part that this episode really did is because it wasn't necessarily the entity teaching him. The entity was trying to have a conversation with something it hadn't had a conversation with before and trying to grasp reality by like like basically it was the same as if Starfleet was meeting a Starfleet officer in a Starfleet officer's brain. Like the entity wanted peace and yeah. Starfleet wants peace, but the entity's brain is not at peace. And the reason that we or the the not the reason but the more we we saw the conversation is cisco knew what he was doing he knew that his wife's loss was a traumatic experience that existed and resonated in his experience for the rest of his life but he also was lying to himself and saying that he had moved on yeah he was lying in himself lying to himself saying that like even though that happened, even though I hate the universe because that happened, I'm okay. I will get through this. And the entity was like, you're saying you humans can actually like get over traumatic events, but you're literally only existing in this traumatic event. The only reason tomorrow exists is because you don't want yesterday to happen again. And yeah. that makes no sense to us the entity and that's where the the changed man was really it was cisco dealing with cisco while also introducing starfleet new entity yeah and i mean like such a layer of nuance that just oh, i love this show for doing that yeah i mean like this is one of those unique situations where the first contact scenario that we've run into which is I mean, we've seen a bunch of first contact situations through original track, through next gen, but we've never seen a truly alien alien before something that does not share our concepts of like our core concepts to how we operate day to day. So this is probably one of the best first contact scenarios we see or we have seen yet, I guess and is the best way to put it, because I mean, put yourself in his in Cisco's shoes, right? This is the most alien alien you've dealt with, and and not just alien alien, but also like you have to deal with yourself in order to properly deal with this alien. Right. Now like, we should also talk about what's going on on the station while this is while we're having deep philosophical metaphysical conversations, because there is a lot going on there too. Yeah, well, something about the Cardassians being pissed and fighting, and the Bajoran major was also pissed at the Cardassians. Back to the philosophical. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh, 
Yeah, so I'll just summarize the last bit. So the Cardassians have, have been trying to get all of the Bajoran orbs because they want to access the Celestial Temple. They they have no respect for the Bajoran religion on a, on a face value, but in secret, they're actually uh, trying to access it and get its powers. Uh, gee, I wonder who does that. Whoops. Yeah, I think what? Well, 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 no. You guys have had the floor for like the last 20 yep. minutes. It's my turn. Dude, um, go for it. So there's all this, uh, yes, there's all the political ramifications and they want the orb and they want to get access. They want to, they want to stake a claim to celestial temple. So chief O'Brien for the only time in the series has to fire up the station's, uh, thrusters to get there before they do. And, uh, of course he doesn't. So, uh, the, the Cardassians end up getting there first and they get into the celestial temple. That's how you get back to the Celestial Temple discussion, John. Um, so Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. So my perspective, and I'll try to just keep this regarding it, is I think it's an allegory. Um, I used to think it was an allegory more for Christianity, and that might have been one of the main bases. But listening to you guys talk about it and considering some of the other more in-depth spiritual discussions we have had before on the Rogue Council, I think it's really an allegory for any any of a lot of the main faiths i think there's a lot of give and take that you could probably associate and what i think is that it was written from a base perspective of a creator god whichever one you you choose to believe in for for your own reasons and i think it was written as though and this is me watching it you know this time around knowing all what happens i think they actually intentionally uh, wrote this from the perspective of the creator god trying to get reacquainted with their creation and i think that's why they they play the whole well i don't understand everything that is because i'm infinite i don't have time i don't experience time really they're they're not stupid they know what cisco is and where he comes from however they want to hear what he has to say they want to know his perspective on it. They don't want to come. They don't want to come bursting in and saying, "I am your creator. I did all of this, and I know everything." So who's ready for eternity? Nobody, right? Because I spoiled everything. No, it's it's more of one of those. No, I want to know what it's like, and so I'm going to ask you to share with me. And Arendi says, uh, he writes in, and Ducat like. Or, and Ducat liking no being in love with the sound of his own voice. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no, look. Oh yeah. We're we're gonna get to the Cardassians. We're, we're gonna get I've to the Cardassians probably in another episode, but that's okay because uh, yeah, Ducat. They would get just. You know, I'm so excited for this, guys. Like this is this is more than Star Trek with this show. It it, it goes to places that no other Star Trek had gone before, and that's cliche to say, but it's the truth. But that's an odd thing. Is like that's. If anything, that's all Star Trek has ever wanted to do is to the final frontier of our honest reality is our understanding of reality. Exactly. And Star Trek has been exploring that frontier as if it was a, an exploration into the future, uh, into space and meeting all these other entities because other entities are easier to judge without causing great ramifications to you know like like if, if they were to make this a, a a show about white people going through colonies like it would just ruin our relationship 
with the series. It would be really rough to be okay with a lot of things and like it could be seen as a whitewashing of history. So going into the future allows us to go into the human mind without also trying to pretend like all the bad stuff is already taken care of. Exactly. We can write um, metaphorically and that's what this show does phenomenally well with the whole implication of the Bajoran religion and the celestial temple and the wormhole aliens, you know, are they actually gods? Aren't they gods? Um, well, and then you know, we just kind of have to see how that unfolds at this God, point. If I say, what? Yeah. If we say too much more, I know if we say too much more. So, so, so then I'll say what I feel based off of this episode is like, the, because the episodes that I've watched since haven't really dealt much more with this issue. Um, the, the big thing that like I really got from the, the Celestial Temple, which I forgot that that's what it was, which also the thing with the Cardassians is I think they're more along the lines of like anybody who doesn't have faith. They'll take your faith at the value you give it to them. And if they see manifestations of that faith working, then they're going to steal those manifestations so as to take the benefits of the faith without also having to participate in the faith. Without doing the work that faith Fan requires. mail from Galenda. I made it, I think. Yes, yes, you yes, did. Yes, you, you did. did. You made it in time. But the, the thing that I really get from the Celestial Temple is not necessarily that it's this creator god attempting to return to its humanity. And, and I don't want to say whether or not I'm right because it's just my feelings of what I've got so far is the way that I get it is it's more of like heaven returning to reality it's it's almost as if heaven stopped existing for the last x amount of years and now it's back and everything that's in heaven has no idea how to a explain itself and then b who it's now dealing with like there's the the great Freemason uh, belief or version of the creator God. And it's more along the lines of that God is a watchmaker who set the watch and let it go and walked away. But now he's come back and Starfleet is all over the face. What is Starfleet? Who is running Starfleet? And that's really the vibe that I got is this isn't necessarily like a race that's unintelligent. It's more of a because they don't ask, what does it mean to be alive? They ask, what does it mean to, you say you're a human, what is a human? And then he explains what a human is and they go, well, like, so you're just like a dog, right? Like you're just a normal beast of the universe. And, and we see Cisco having to do his training. He's having to go through this. A human is this, I know you're not a human because we don't look the same and we don't talk the same, so let's, you know, go over the basic steps. Here is the human biology. Here's yeah. the human anatomy. Ba- basically, Here's the human basically the, the creator, basically the creator God's like, uh, yeah, whoops, I've turned off heaven for, well, it was going to be 20 minutes and a few thousand years just got by me. Sorry, guys. Well, there's more to it than God this. turned off oh, heaven. Yeah. It's more along the lines of like, nobody's ever gotten there and also still been here. Yeah, and I mean, like, we can take this even deeper. I mean, when you take a look, um, you know, the, the Bajorans effectively went through their own equivalent of a Holocaust. Right? Yeah. That, that, and yeah. there are a lot of Jewish people that really felt like God abandoned them when World War II 
and the events leading up to it happened. And then, can you imagine if all of a sudden, God was like, Hey guys, I stepped out for like a pack of smokes uh, a little while ago. What happened? Ooh. Right? Um, you know, that's... You can take it in, in that kind of way, too. Um, I think there, there's also some other interesting components to that, right? Because we are seeing what what has happened to Bajor through the eyes of the command, the, the second off or like the first officer of the station, Kira Norris. Major. Yeah. Major Kira Norris. She's, um, she has been hardened. She is what you would expect from a partisan. Um, after fighting years in a guerrilla war to try to retake her homeworld. She definitely does not love the Cardassians. She has no time for, you know, simple pleasantries or, you know, basic stuff like that. As far as she's concerned, she has this job to do. She's just as broken in different ways than Cisco is. And her realizing, you know, her faith is being rewarded as we speak. Because their faith, the Bajoran's faith, is what got them through this nightmare scenario. It's why and it's, their culture still exists despite every effort of the Cardassians. Exactly. And then watching it be rewarded in real time, that's got to have an effect too. That's got to have a very affirming realization attached to it as well. So we, we do have a couple of fan even... mails to address real oh, quick. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Arende writes in, remember when I said Avery Brooks, uh, Avery Brooks was a great or was great at portraying strong emotions when he says i exist here strongest moment of the pilot episode i having yeah. watched i that line finally stuck in my head arende actually and i have to agree brooks's performance is outstanding he commits to this role right out of the gate and that's probably why it, that's probably what helps make emissary the strongest star trek pilot and, and you know i like to keep tos as the holy series but i'm sorry it, DS9 does get that exception in this area. And then uh, Glenda Glenda writes in as well, uh, Kira, love, such a strong character. And of course, she also agrees with Arendi. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see how to properly write a strong female protagonist, Kira Norris. Kira Norris, Lieutenant Dax. Yeah. um, Several characters coming up. Uh This brings me to my most aggravated point about what Disney is doing with Marvel and what all of these I don't know what they are like I don't know what to call them because they just feel like the most disingenuous popular kids I've ever heard of like these kids grew up bullying nerds for liking nerd stuff and then when you and I in when we all take the time to go back through our nerd stuff we see strong empowered women we see people that actually know who they are and where they belong. We also see people that have no idea who they are or where they belong. We also see people that thought they knew and lost it. Like nerd history is rife with the best images of what it means to be a human at every stage of what it means to be a human. And then these pompous, just socialites like they have no actual understanding of our legacy but mm-hmm. now they own it because of american corporate elite and patent law like 
And then they have the audacity to call us the sexist bigots, even though we're the only ones that were championing strong women while they were writing the 80s. Just straight, yeah. horrible vixen and problems and all the sexist stuff that Hollywood is. We were combating with Deep Space Nine. We were combating with Star Wars. We were combating with Marvel. And now that they own it, they're calling us the sexist idiots. And, and Critical Drinker has an amazing breakdown of this. And so does Call Me Chato, where like these people are 100% uh, pompous. Uh, and real quick, I, I think he. I believe his last name is pronounced Cato. Chato. I don't give a shit. It's CH. Well, now. Okay. Well, yes, in Americanese, it's Chato. I'll grant you that. But uh, Galenda writes in, Lita is a different kind of strong, but I don't think she's in the pilot. Yes, that's correct. No. I think she shows up in episode two. But also, Galenda, excellent character point because, I mean, Chase Masterson, she's a phenomenal actress, even now reprising her role in Star Trek Online. Um, but also, that character, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's the kind of strong that is not given enough attention because Lita she no she still projects a strong aura of femininity while also still being able to well we'll see as it develops we don't want yeah, to spoil I mean, too much I, it's John's I, I think, first watch through but yes I think without going too deep we can say that just as there's multiple kinds of masculine strength there is absolutely multiple kinds of feminine strength and the fact that they do not acknowledge this in modern day Hollywood is a travesty to everyone. Yeah, Arendi writes well, in, hey, Star Trek Online is the reason I was late and Lita is featured in the latest episode. You know what? You are forgiven even though no offense was committed because uh, that is a We're fair, that, that's totally... A you know what? I, he's confessed <laughs> his sins, so let's have him say three make it so's and then he can carry on with his <laughs> I love it. Um, actually, Arendi, uh, actually, I, do have a, uh, I do have a question for Arendi real quick and it will take him a minute to get back to it. Um, curious. What platform do you play on? And we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, so, the the what I thought would be an appropriate piece to do because we've like gone hard to the mat on the spiritual stuff. Yeah. We should probably quickly discuss, at the very least, the main characters that we're introduced to, the bridge crew, if you will, and their kind of origin stories and where they're at. Because I feel like we would be doing a disservice if we didn't do that. Yeah, well, we got stuck on the breakdown because I really love this super solid, just, I love the idea of dealing with the human issue in different universes and different realms and in ways where it doesn't feel like a guy finally got to talk to the creator and then you, the audience, get to go, well, if I get my chance, I have some other things I want to say. Instead, it was a different version of things like that because like Q is very much similar to like a trickster Loki god where like Picard could ask him a bunch of questions but we know who Picard is and Picard's not going to ask certain questions that don't need answers because Picard doesn't believe that those answers matter and Cisco again is thrown into a similar instance with a Q type character except in contrast to Q this character both wants to get to know him and doesn't care if his answer what his answer is whereas q wants a specific answer from what a human is this entity that the bajorans uh regard with immense uh praise and prestige 
this entity wants to get to know Cisco. Like Cisco introduces himself as a human of Starfleet and the entity goes, well, what's a human? What is Starfleet? Uh, I don't know what that is. is. At the whole time focused on Cisco as a man, as a human thing with a lot of trauma. And, and when you contrast that to Major uh, Kira, you have this really strong understanding that Kira has always believed in who she is and what she's doing. And that's why when she meets this entity, she's met with green pastures because her character- Well, that's Dax. Dax is the science officer with- Right, Dax. Oh man, and Dax came from uh, the other one. Yeah. Uh, So like I said, let's do a quick little breakdown on the main characters. Yeah. Because we have Cisco, which we've talked about. We have Kira Norris, which honestly, I think it's also important to remember that the time that this was written in, because this was written before 9-11, when America's um, relationship with scrappy underdog resistance primarily came from places like the Mujahideen, which were allies, which were friends. So it has a very different view at that point. We have... Uh, next on the list, we can talk about the security officer, Odo, who is a shapeshifter that knows nothing about his species or his own history. We have Lieutenant Dax, which is a trill, and she's part of a joined species. So she has a symbiote that lives in her belly that is We've kind of Dax like... A, 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 TNG. Well, we met, we met Trill in TNG. We never met Dax specifically. Oh, I thought that was Dax. Okay. No, um, but we've we meet Trill. Uh, the Trill we met in Next Gen was named Joe Brill. But anyway, oh, that's right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> this is what I'm good for here. Um, Dark. But oh, 100. percent But um, the Trill symbionts act as a memory repository for the will host. subscribe. Yes. Um, so the, she's effectively lived every lifetime that this symbiont has been part of. So she carries those memories forward, but she's still, you know, a young girl. She's like, imagine a 23 year old with seven where with 300 years worth of experience. That, that's oh, a heck God, of a thing. The ego on that person. Right. Um, then you have Bashir. Bashir is fresh out of the Academy. This is his first assignment. And as far as he's concerned, he wanted to work in a place that had, that was just the middle of freaking nowhere because he thought that that would be the most exciting adventure he could go on. And he didn't really stop and think about, hey, this may be this exciting adventure on the borderlands where, you know, here be dragons may be just down the road, but it's also these people's home. Yeah. Right. So, you know, getting a, a quick, swift dose of humility from Kira was definitely needed. Um, and then we can also talk about um, the next character that I, I would cover is O'Brien. We know O'Brien from TNG. We've always seen him basically operating the transporter room and being a little bit of a mechanic. But now he's picked up his family and moved to, again, the grimy butthole of space. Um because he got a promotion and he's going to be running the whole or repairing the whole station now. And as we can clearly see in the pilot episode, the station hates him. 
absolutely despises him and he fights with it constantly. I'm also going to put this up here. Um, that we see the first of O'Brien's miracles getting the station moved, but I'm going to put forward this little piece as a little bit of a teaser. He pays for those miracles, <laughs> and we're gonna. And, and I think we're going to have a. I'm gonna keep a ticker going of how many times he does. O'Brien must suffer. Exactly. Um, other members of the main cast I would add in is Quark. So Quark owns the, the local bar and gambling concern and wants to leave the station, realizing that the chances of the Bajoran government surviving its first couple of weeks is pretty slim to nil. Um, but Cisco, having apparently dealt with Ferengi before, understands how to manipulate and, and blackmail, for lack of a better term, uh, Quark into staying and uh, keeping the bar running so it becomes a community hub and actually trying to turn Quark into a little bit of a respectable individual in the process. You know, it's kind of a weird one where you have to profit, you know, um, make it quite clear to a super ultra capitalist that being a good person is going to be good for his bottom line. That's the um, weird thing about Quark that I got more from the first episode. Like, I don't think he is a traditional Ferengi. Like, if anything, I feel like he would be one of the Ferengis that Ferengi don't Shut like. Shut up! And, and, and it, to me, it, like, it made clear that it wasn't Quark's brother who went for the kid. It was Quark. He stood up for his own. And that isn't traditional to the Ferengi in any sense. Mm -hmm. because they are very much the definition of survival of the fittest and now especially like once you get to intergalactic times the fittest is the greatest merchant not necessarily a ethical merchant not necessarily a white merchant and white by white merchant i mean white market legal goods um or not even a gray merchant like a, a total merchant one who takes all of any kind of uh product and sells it to any kind of uh consumer without discretion without or not without discretion with discretion like they won't rat on who they sold to unless they're paid to rat on who they sold to and that is the ultimate survivor in this intergalactic universe and i think that's where Quark really highlights himself as a different touch of the ferengi pd tell me that we're going to be able to clip this part out Oh, Tell me we're going to oh, be able to clip the part. Absolutely. Oh, no, there's going to okay, be cool. towards the, yeah, you know, at the end of each season, maybe we'll do a quick recap of, of John's guesses and <laughs> see how wrong he is. Um, okay. Um, but so that, that kind of brings us through the current main cast, I believe. Um, and I mean, we can also talk a little bit about Ducat. Um, if the, Let's just say he is probably the most he's probably hated the, man on Bajor. He, he's, yeah, and he's easily one of the most terribly written villains in uh, in all of Star Trek. And I mean, I just I can't really? stand when Mark Alamo is on the screen. So I just honestly, he's, he's really just, he's so overrated. Okay, I I view him as the dark mirror to Cisco. Eh, uh, that, that's a, that's a, but, that's a huge stretch. Okay. And I mean, so 
you brought up Corin earlier that this really feels similar to the Mujahideen uh, and our relationship to the to the Mujahideen in terms of. Uh, oh yeah, real quick, can we catch up on Famo, please, John? Oh yeah. Uh, let's see. Cisco said that his gamer profile, or not Cisco. Arendi said that his gamer profile is Cisco is my dad. Uh, <laughs> let's see. He's on PC. Glenda said four miles. <laughs> Spark noting this real quick because I don't know if any of this is relevant. Well, Arendi brings up Babylon Five, and there's oh, a theory, Babylon Five. Okay. And there's a theory yeah, out there true. that between Cisco and the Bajorans kind of reminds me of Minbari to the human connection in Babylon 5. Granted, DS9 is allegedly heavily inspired by Straczynski. So I, I definitely do want to talk to the back end of what happened to create Deep Space Nine. Um, but we, I think we'll get to that after we kind of talk about the plot of the episode a little bit. And Galinda also agrees on the four miles moments list. Uh, Galinda says Quark slash Nog dynamic is good. Agreed. I really do like that he promotes uh, the child learning about other species from another species. That was beautiful in a later episode. Arendi says, so do I. Smiley face. Oh, Galinda says, I love BF5. And Arendi replies, so do I. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, do we want to cover a little bit of the background now that we've got like a few minutes here? Because I well, can summarize it quick. One quick second. Um, so you said that the, the way that this story resembles is a lot towards the Holocaust and stuff like that. But to me, it seems like the Bajorans are meant to represent a modern, according to Starfleet times, of the uh, colony of America. And the Cardassians very much resemble the uh, British Empire, and that's where Ducat's character really seems like the red coat from the Patriot. Like, he really rules the the main general in the movie The Patriot, where he's like, no, I believe in the crown, and, like, is really fighting for the crown, and that Ducat's believing in the Cardassian way and really fighting for the Cardassian way of life, even though they know that they're strip mining an entire species planet. Well, I guess we'll get into that in a later episodes. Um, because shocker, Dukat comes back a few times. Um, but to get into the background of the series here, because we do have just a little bit of time left to discuss this. Um, so Deep Space Nine was originally created because of an argument in the writer's room, believe it or not. And the argument in the writer's room had to do with Gene Roddenberry's method of writing stories for Star Trek which primarily came down to you are not allowed to have Starfleet officers have personal conflicts with other members of Starfleet. This is completely verboten. Which, if I could jump in real quick, I do agree with that rule for the flagship. I think that should be a standard that the flagship tries to hold. The rest of... It just doesn't... The rest of it's a fantasy otherwise. Okay. I mean, I'm not... I'm not going to place any sort of judgment on the rule it's just that's the rule that existed and the problem was the writing room was having trouble writing conflict without having personal conflict involved as well so the solution was conceived well what if we had non-starfleet members of the cast 
that we could have conflicts with. And then they said, well, if we're going to evolve Star Trek, we need to take a look at what it was originally about, which was a wagon train to the stars. If we're going to kind of ape the concept of a Western series, then the next logical step is a border town, right? Where we're Hmm. following the lives of the people at a border town. And that's where everything started coming together. Now, while they were bopping around the... Um, and this is where the timelines get a little weird. While they were bopping around this nebulous idea of trying to do this, JMS came to Paramount and said, I have an idea for a Star Trek series. It's going to be set on a station. And he basically pitched B5 with a Star Trek feel to it. And they went, you know, they kind of panicked because they were like, we are literally working on that right now. So they rejected his idea. He went and his own way and created B5 and then when he saw the similarities went oh my goodness they're ripping off my idea whether he they actually were or not or what was borrowed is definitely up for debate and it has been debated in a court of law it found that there wasn't a, a substantial enough proof that they were mimicking each other but um, that did come up now Part of the the idea for the creation initially, this space station was going to be a conglomeration of s- pieces of stations from all over um, that had been put together. It was going to be a a mishmash of various cultures that had been living here. They were really kind of pulling from Afghanistan, where it was like, you know, this is where the graveyards of empires are, and they were just building on top of the next empire. Like they were the next empire to come in. They're going to be the next empire to leave. Um, That was originally going to happen. The promenade was actually going to have a rail station as well. Fun fact. Um, But they decided to tone things down, get it together. Uh, One of the other interesting pieces was initially the Ferengi characters were wanted to make sure that they portrayed their characters so accurately that they actually started doing a separate rehearsal time for all the Ferengi to get together at Armin Shimmerman's house and run lines together to make sure that they had a unified culture for the Ferengi in the series. So that's kind of the little bits and pieces that that come up here. Uh, The only other piece I will kind of add in there is the Bajoran religion, believe it or not, was completely and fully fleshed out in terms of all the practices, all of it, before the first episode went down. They had more or less decided to create an entire religion from scratch and then went, okay, but we're actually going to have their divinity be real. And how would how would Starfleet deal with, no, 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 these actually are gods, but it's cool. Right? This is... I feel like the people who wrote this need to start giving master classes on how to write because like their story is exactly what I've always imagined a good concept. Like like people talk about like when you pitch to developers and stuff like that, you have to have like your concept and it, it, it needs to be roughly fleshed out, but roughly. And this sounds more like, no, we knew what we were doing. We just needed the money to do it. And I love that. Yeah. So that that's that's the primary pieces of it. They had um, certain episodes mapped out for later seasons well in advance. 
because they wanted to tell a narrative story but have it be able to be shown serially. So if you missed an episode, it wasn't the end of the world, but they wanted to have a continuing meta story arc running through the whole thing. So that's what we start to see with the emissary. Um, I agree with Petey that this is probably the best pilot that was ever done for a Star Trek series. It's definitely not, not just a Star Trek, but seriously, this is a great pilot for any, this is the model pilot for any show. Yeah, I would I would argue that the only one that did it any better was the TV movie for Battlestar Galactica. I would argue that this is the ultimate pilot for any spin-off because there's so many other layers that matter to this first episode, knowing who Starfleet is, what Starfleet stands for, where they've been, what they've done. Like like you couldn't have this episode and that moment with Picard and also like you really couldn't have cisco's humanity truly understood that he has professionalism his job at starfleet above his emotional feelings unless you knew that other people had already suffered and you know been through things and that i think i, I mean you could but Loss i don't know if you could universal. do it with a space series like this like like you could do this in a fantasy world where all the other elements are mostly so, human and we understand them and i think that's where this show really like took from its predecessors and then exploded a whole new avenue of research is that like because of everything picard goes through in the episodic nature you can finally write an entire series on its own emotional weight and its own character weight and each character can have all of the things that we know from this other series and other series before it but also have nothing to do with any of that series outside of the most like policy-based stuff like starfleet acts like x ferengi acts like y yeah so yeah we are pressed for time though so i do gotta we do gotta move it right along here but uh yeah looking forward to the discussion for ds9 especially with galenda and arende guys i'm really glad you guys are here to start this journey with us it's john's first time watching even though he can't help himself when and has continued on but as long as you watch the the episodes we decide for each week we are gonna try and kind of steamroll through season one if we can but we'll have to talk about that more after the show tonight transitioning now real quick to real quick i want to pitch anybody who's joining us for this watch through as somebody whose first time it is it's actually really fun yeah like the cgi the the human the character development it's all and and despite what what john just said about even if it's old about having context i will say you can start with this as your first star trek show you won't appreciate certain moments as much as we do being a longtime fan but as far as a show goes, it really does stand on its own. What does not stand on its own, however, is, of course, the topic of our next discussion, and that is the uh, embarrassment that is Halo Infinite. Um, 3 for 3 Incompetence has absolutely done trash with the Halo series since they got the keys in uh, for Halo 4 after Bungie more or less separated from Microsoft and left the property behind to pursue well, other things with Destiny. We should we should acknowledge the team at Bungie never wanted to really make a three, but they right. had signed a three part series, and I think that three four three shouldn't 
have the weight of Bungie's completely lack of desire to continue on. I feel like well, that hold being on, said, hold on. What three four three did with what? Yeah, Bungie, Bungie, Bungie may have been reluctant. Them. Bungie may have been reluctant with Halo three, but they still gave us ODST, the best Halo game ever, and of course Halo Reach, which others argue is the best Halo game ever. So I'm sorry, but I just don't agree. Well, with no, that. so that's what I mean. Is like we should acknowledge that Bungie wanted out right. of the series. I agree. And three four three was created to, you know fill the loss you and in that drive instance, it off the that's tracks. where 343 needs to realize that even though they were told to come take this and figure it out they didn't yeah now to be clear halo infinite the campaign story was really good and i did enjoy it as a longtime halo fan myself um what i just don't like is the continued execution of excuses that has followed now of course these comes from shoddy business practices like 18 month temporary contracts and to just other decisions now of course let's acknowledge real quick things might be changing for the better for the worse we just won't know with time uh the uh, uh bonnie ross who was originally the 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 lead uh the final say the the admiral of halo i guess you could call her has stepped down now of course we do wish you well bonnie you had to step down it's allegedly for family medical issues and so we do wish you all the best and i've and also your family all the best and your family all the best um the thing is too i don't blame you i don't blame bonnie entirely even though she had final say i think this this idea of constantly blaming the top for having all of the problems is part of the problem because what's what she signed off on could arguably be some blunders but the question that i want to know is what was she promised that she may have signed off on thinking it was the right thing that the idiots beneath her trying to claw their way to the top pitched and obviously failed to deliver because there's there's more it, it, when a product fails it's easy to blame one person and have them you know lose their job over it but the truth of the matter is with a project like halo watch the credits list and then ask yourself seriously could one person really cause all these issues with this game theoretically yes but i think realistically it's a problem in the entire organization and the fact that while a lot of the artists and writers and voice actors and a lot of those people that actually did do the good job you guys it's a fantastic game it looks great the the playability is there it's just you got to do something about the cheaters like well, seriously well that's cheaters, a yeah. that's a microsoft wide problem oh great right? i mean of course mean... it is well see i only play warzone because they actually do something about the cheaters over there yeah, I mean, like... At least they paid somebody to do something. So I'm going to catch up on the fan mail real quick, guys, if you can just hold your thoughts one second. Yep. Galenda says, we'll be mindful of the spoilers. I'm excited to be a part. Hey, don't worry about it if you do. Just, just you know the big ones that you need to save. Um, Arende says, I only played one Halo game, and I think it was Halo 2 when I bought my Xbox 360. It didn't get me hooked up, so my knowledge is limited. At Corion, what is your left... Or what is on your left shoulder? Hard to say if it's part of the shirt or some emblem or a tree. Corion, I'll let you field that one. Oh, um... So the shirt I have is a, uh, it's a, like a funky kind of t-shirt that's got a suit of, uh, Celtic inspired armor style t-shirt here. So Ooh. there we go. Ah, it's pretty. Yeah. Um, I so, really like that. Yeah. I thought it was pretty. I picked it up. Um, you know, it's usually my D and D night shirt. Cause, uh, if I'm going to go, uh, be playing a fighter, I figure I'll, I'll wear some armor and, and cosplay a little bit, so I thought it was fun. 
And uh, yeah, uh, the two pieces here are what's holding on the cape on the back, and they're uh, they're Celtic knotwork. Um, they're very pretty, but uh, there's no significant significance to it. Other than I thought it was a cool shirt. That's, that's there's some significance in the fact that you liked it. Obviously, it inspired you. So, so anyway, yeah. back to trashing Halo. No, guys, I want to be clear too. I want Halo to succeed. I want Infinite to be the best yep. FPS out there. I want Warzone to be the best. I want you guys to succeed. It is it is because I give a shit that I'm expressing my discontentment with the series and the handling of, of Halo Infinite. Now, Arende, um, if you do get a chance, I highly recommend the Master Chief Collection in, in your free time. The Halo series is worth a story, uh, at least experiencing once. And uh, and if not, Red versus Blue on YouTube. Oh my gosh. 10 out of 10, best Halo series. That, that we could do a whole month of it's RBB. Don't tempt favorite. me with a good, don't tempt me with a good time. It. No, no. We already have our throwback series DS9 for the next four years, so we'll get to it later. Um, <laughs> Yeah, get get out of that but, puma. But that means that, like <laughs> get the puma off the me, screen. To me, the goal is more to rather than discuss like what's wrong with Halo Infinite. Like, where can it be better? I mean, there's enough YouTubers out there that already have much, much more in-depth reasons why Halo Infinite flopped. It's not the game that it could be, and so my thought is is how could it be better and number well, one actually i do want to quickly organize progression system yeah one one like, actually one right out of the gate incentives even before that even before that i do not care i do not care if split screen is not working on the xbox one or the old systems you had it working on series x and s put it out for series x and s john and i come from a family where we had four boys so our family was not necessarily poor but we got to be a one console family that four player split screen is one of the reasons we even played Halo in the first place. It is the it's only the reason, reason that more fans... Halo okay, ever. you are killing a potential fan base by not allowing co-ops localized split screen. That is the stupidest decision that has been made on this game. And I and there's a lot of dumb decisions we could talk about with Halo Infinite. This is the dumbest for the simple fact that you can't get it to work on a platform that is obsolete. And I'm sorry to the Xbox One fans who want four push switch. I really am. But I think each person, each one of you watching this who has an Xbox One would probably rather the new consoles had split screen at the very least than none at all. And that is just honestly what I just, I can't. Well, okay, let's, let's actually take a look because I think a lot of the problems that we have, I know. I think a lot of the problems that we have with Halo are not necessarily with 343. It's not necessarily with any one individual. It's the Microsoft mandates that come down from on high. Um, I personally loved Halo. I only pl- I don't own an Xbox. I never have. And I loved the first... Like, I loved CE. I thought it was a great game when it came out on PC. I was like, yeah, I want to play this all the damn time. It's why I invested in a better video card because of that game. But the... The thing that sucked was we had to wait for forever to get two, way longer than any console player. And then we didn't even get three until the Master Chief Collection. And that was like... And we still have five. Well, I I was sitting there going, we were sitting here waiting. You know, you, you literally left money on the table because you didn't give us the PC players access. And I think what we're seeing a lot of times here is we're talking about money left on the table, right? There are people that would pick it up if it was, you know, couch co-op or couch versus um, that you're leaving their money on the table. 
you're leaving money on the table by not making sure that the cheaters online are dealt with appropriately. You're leaving money on the table by not having tournaments set up in place, ready to go in infinite. Um, I personally feel you also left money on the table by releasing it a chunk at a time instead of giving us an absolutely solid game out the door and adding everything else on as an add-on to keep us coming back for more. I, I uh, had people and specifically also... expressing, uh, we gotta we gotta keep it real quick, John. I was just gonna add, the biggest thing, man, is like, if you're gonna copy other people, do better than them. Don't do substantially worse. Like, if your battle pass is the worst battle pass in history, but you're the largest company in the history of games to release a battle pass you gotta do better like the progression system seriously that's what a lot of people played the multiplayer for was so that they could show off their cool skins but if you can only progress in janky ways yeah nobody wants to progress anyway thank you corion for expressing in a more mild manner that i cannot uh you know uh, emotions are running high and uh oh boy this is yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get a so, tall, frosty drink at the end of this, and we'll yeah. get you calmed back down. Yeah. Um, how we treat death is just as important as how we treat life. And if you guys have been following us since the beginning, you know that we take that, that particular line and that idea from Star Trek to The Wrath of Khan very seriously. And so, when it comes to people that we like, like Nichelle Nichols, for example, or personal friends and family we do try to make it a point to honor their memory the best that we can and in what little small way we can um unfortunately yesterday morning my great uncle royce passed away from a very short battle with terminal cancer and you may not know who he was and that's okay um he he was a father and a husband uh, to two young kids, as you can see. And he was a brother of six, the youngest brother of six. Um, my great grandparents, you know, they, they, uh, they were fruitful and they multiplied. And uh, so I myself come from, John and I both come from a large family, not as big. We were down to by comparison, only four of us. And so when I first heard the news that Royce got cancer, I was devastated because I could only imagine what it would be like if our youngest brother, Graham, who's made an appearance on the show before, got cancer. And even though, you know, guys, I've been through a lot of loss and I don't want to go through everything. Uh, just a quick version. And I'm no stranger to it, but it doesn't get easier. It, it just hits differently each time. Uh, to explain a couple of the photos here, so on the upper left, that's actually from the GoFundMe, which I would like to post if you, anything you guys can. And, and John, I'll have you include the link to this uh, in the description for the podcast. So our podcast listeners, if you can. They've already met their goal for the funeral expenses, but guys, there's still more to come beyond that. Uh, you know, the, this this mother of two, she's the kids are only 11 and 8, and so it's a lot of... of to manage there having to to take on in this sudden life change and i mean it, it really did come sudden because it sounded like when it, a couple of pictures with his brother my grandpa that you can see there in the, in the center um you know he looked to be in good spirits he looked like he was gonna try and do his best and and it uh 
just didn't work. Now, the spaceship that you see accompanying probably seems a little out of place. Uh, that was a tradition that I started in 2013. You know, it's ironic enough that we had Hunter Robinson show up, my, my old boot camp slash A school buddy uh, from the Coast Guard, because my first service loss was a suicide. Someone that I served with, I didn't know him super personally, but we went through, you know, we went through patrols together. We went through experiences together. We partied and drank in South America together. Um, his, uh, his name was Electronic elect, Electrician's Mate Third Class uh, Ocampo. Can't remember his first name. It's been quite a few years, but his name was on the first memorial ship that I commissioned into my fleet. And ever since then, I've got a line of ships for everyone I've lost. And uh, this being my newest purchase, I know it's a new Trek ship. I first got it. It was such a weird oddball of a ship to fly. It's his stats make zero sense, but I love it. And so when he passed, I felt it was appropriate to name it after him. I haven't seen my great uncle in over 12 years, and obviously I won't see him again in this life, unfortunately. But what I remembered is of, of all the siblings, he was kind of the more mild-tempered of, of them all. Like, he, he was the baby brother who, who was at the tail end, so to speak. But he, he was just so much fun to be around, talk to. He's the reason that I knew what a, that I learned what a Monte Cristo was, because I mean he loved food. Who doesn't? I love food. Food is one of the best. Food is one of the reasons I get out of bed sometimes. And uh, and I mean the way he was describing it, it sounded like it was supposed to be the greatest thing ever. When I finally got to try my first one ever, which I wasn't until like I was like 15 or 16. I know I get to things late apparently. Um, yeah, his description. I actually didn't oversell it. I could not believe how good food could taste. Deep fried and with and dipped in jelly. And so guys, any anything you guys can give, no matter how big or how small, it matters. But I also this loss comes with some heavy regret this time. Uh, when my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer, I called her just about every week, and I made it a point to hear her voice. Unfortunately, less important things in life got in the way, and I kind of stopped talking to Royce, not out of anything bad. It was just, I was busy with the Coast Guard. He uh, got married to his second wife and finally decided to have children. And so I was happy for him. He's living a life, a full life. He had his hands full. I didn't have any malice or any. It's just, it just it never happened. And, and I wish I had arranged a phone call when my grandparents were able to go visit. Um, but I told myself, oh, you know what? I'll just... I'll just see him as soon as I can. Treatment sounded promising, but unfortunately, for here now, it wasn't. So, guys... My my warning to you, because I'm not going to be able to talk to him or hear his voice or get another, you know, big, burly Royce York bear hug ever again, is if there's anybody in your life, it doesn't matter if they're long lost extended family, friends, just that 
if there's that person in your life you just happen to be thinking about right now and you haven't talked to them, reach out. Because we can argue to no end about what happens next. Is there forever after all that stuff? And while I have my personal faith on it, I believe there is something more to this. Even if it, even if it's confirmed that what I believe, what I happen to believe is 100% correct, it doesn't change the fact that this life, this existence is precious. This is, we don't get to do this again as far as we know. And we should never act like we could do this again as far as we know. And honestly, while I do believe in the hope of the next life, I've changed my tone a lot in the last 10 to 15 years. Because it doesn't matter if that life is for sure. We exist. Live the now. We exist here. <laughs> we exist now. And this, what we do here matters. And what experiences we have. The, the, the timing of this is just so, so damn perfect. And what we learn in Emissary and what they talk about and, and Cisco going over the basics of human life and how he summarizes that at the end, we, you know, we are our existence. You know, we are the sum of our experiences. It is so true. And I relate to that so much more now than I did the last time I watched this show. And it, it's it's so beautiful to have it. And that was the other reason I took those pictures of him riding off into the celestial tip. I miss him. I've missed him. And sadly, I have to miss him even more. So please, guys, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to contact your friends and family that you haven't talked to, that you've been meaning to, just to say, hey, it doesn't need to be more than five words. It doesn't need to be a whole catch-up if it doesn't need to be. But you're not going to get that that time once they're gone it's that's it so well in that case for the first time in 28 years parker i uh kind of like you you're a great guy <laughs> i love you too john and i'm so glad that we did this show because it gives us more there's so much more to this than just growing a fan base and making some money and I'm starting to realize that this right here, like, like Rende, Galinda, you guys keep showing up. Like you, we will try to make it worth your while as best we can. And, yeah. and you, any, you guys are part of the writer brother family. More or less. And, 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 and anyone, if you guys need us to share condolences for one you've lost. We would greatly appreciate that honor. Yeah. I'm all yeah. about, I, I know people say that, Oh, here's your empty truck, truckload of thoughts and prayers. You know what? I believe in that stuff, and I don't have to agree with your faith to to believe in this common goal. And so, um, yeah, and and with the spirit of John sharing his his feelings with you, I just want to say to you both that uh, you both, you know, deeply from the heart, do not insult me with your existence on this planet. So, you too, um, brother. Yeah. <laughs> You too. Uh, we're um, coming down to the last few seconds, so I'll just uh, try to keep it quick. Uh, thank you guys for watching school. tonight. <laughs> yeah, the last line. And and that's why we have laughs, and that's why we have tears, is because that's the human existence, and it comes in waves, and, and there's just no right or wrong way. Well, there's several wrong ways, but 
I, uh, I appreciate all of you being here and sharing in the memory of my great uncle this evening. It means a lot. And to those of you listening, and whether you're watching the replay, it doesn't matter exactly when you got here. I'm just glad that you came by. My name's Peter York of the Ryder Brothers. We'll see you next time. Take care.